I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. And we looked at high in Isaiah 57, how the Lord had seen the iniquities of his people. But not only had he seen the iniquities of his people, because the people were in captivity and they began to take on board, began to take part in paganism and idol worship and immorality and all those things. But amongst them were those who loved the Lord, who cherished the Lord. And God said that he would help them or who have a contrite and humble spirit those who were looking to him. And we liken that on to today. I mean, the world is falling apart. No one can deny that. You don't have to be a prophet to know that. But yet, there are people who trust in the Lord. And while things are falling around us, I was just reminded of that old song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Isn't it? While all around is sinking sand, On Christ the Solid Rock We Stand. And God is watching over us, and God will hear our prayer. We looked at how God promised. Amen. Cameron, this ain't working. Hold on. Helps if you turn it on. Amen. There we go, Alan, you clump it. Right. It says he would heal them. He said he would lead them. He said he would comfort them. He said he would help them change, and he said he would offer them peace. But what we've been kind of concentrating on is he will help them change. And we looked at how change Sometimes we need the Lord because we tend to, to hold on to things. You know, I spoke to you of uh, how uh, an example is always given of lobsters in a pot, which is very cruel and shouldn't be done. But anyhow, when they do it, if one of the lobsters tries to escape and climb out of the pot, the other lobsters, for some strange reason, grab it and pull it back down. And in our lives, there's things which are pulling us and keeping us down. And that's why we need the Lord's help to change. And the Lord said that he is there to help us change and indeed to offer us peace. And so this wasn't just a word from God, which was needed back then, and it was only for these people. This is a word from God for all generations. And it's for you and for me. When we trust in him, we know that God will not fail. And we looked at how we have to accept that we're not immortal. We're not God. We are human. We have weaknesses. We have limited, we have finite abilities. We have finite minds. We like to think we know all there is to know about everything, but we don't. We have very finite minds, especially with the Word of God. Men, great men, great theologians, great academics have searched the Scriptures all their lives and have all said that they've only scratched the surface. And only when the Lord returns will all this be revealed to you and to me. And so, you know, when we are not happy, when we looked at when we're discontented, when we're anxious, when we have an issue in our lives which is making us lose sleep, which is making us worry and all those things, we need to find three things. We need to find the cause of the problem. Then we look at the consequences of the problem and the cure of the problem. And we've looked at the cure, or sorry, the cause and the consequences, and we're going to step forward now into the cure of the problem. But again, we need to understand where we are because we can get frustrated 
You know, it can be so frustrating when we don't seem to be getting anywhere. You know, when we've struggled with something, some people struggle for many years. Some people struggle for weeks. Some people struggle for days. But when they aren't or don't seem to be getting anywhere, they get frustrated. Sometimes they do not want to talk to people, do not want to talk to the Lord. Because subconsciously we kind of think if we ask for help that we're kind of admitting we are weak. And especially as Christians, we don't want to, to ask for help. We don't want other people in the church that see us lifting our hands and maybe giving it the old Strandtown two-step. We don't want them to see that there's something actually wrong in here. There's something wrong in here. But when we do that, this is what can burn us out. We're not praying and we're not asking the Lord, and we're not being honest, and the Lord knows before we even get down before him. And we're not saying, Lord, I am weak. I cannot do this thing on my own. Please help me. We don't say, Lord, this situation which is troubling me, my husband, my children, my job, my wife, I cannot control it. And that admission is a first step to help from God. Because we're saying, I need to just hand it over to you, Lord. Because you know something, the power to change ourselves and the power to change situations in our lives comes from God. And so the longer we delay or refuse to change, the harder it's going to be for us. Church, James said, life is but a vapor which appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth. Life is far too short. And we should enjoy life. And how to enjoy life is to move forward and not to dwell in the things in the past. I said to you before, when I'm counseling people, I tell them, you need to deal with your past to cope with your present and prepare for your future. And men and women today have to accept God's offer to help with all of our worries, fears, and anxieties. And we can even sit here this morning and think in denial. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Well, if you're not concerned about what's going on in the world, there is something wrong with you. When you look at it, it's getting beyond ridiculous. But the sad reality is when God offers help, man won't take it. When God offers peace, man won't take it. When God offers to take us under the shadow of his wings and comfort us, we just seem to not do it. There seems to be... Uh, I, 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 it's not an attribute, but a, a part of us which will stop us giving everything over to the Lord. I wonder sometimes do we think the Lord doesn't know? Especially if we've done a, maybe a bit of wrong. God knows your every thought, church. God knows your every move. God knows your every action. And, you know, we can uh, flower up what we're doing with nice words and, oh, I didn't really mean anything. You know something? God knows exactly what you meant. And that actually turning to God and saying, Lord, I'm turning it over to you is an admission, maybe, that maybe we don't want to make. What stops us from dying to self and totally surrendering our lives to the Lord? And we looked at these, and it's pride, it's fear, it's worry, and it's doubt. But we need to die to self, and we need to renew our commitment to the Lord. We need to die to self. Stop running about like a headless chicken, trying to solve our own problems. 
when the greatest offer of all is there, the Lord who loves you, who died for you, and who has no intention of leaving you is there to pick you up. If you've been on the Jericho Road and you've been injured, God is there to pick you up. If you've lived the life of Zacchaeus, God is there to pick you up and forgive you. Common sense, which is really not that common today, tells us that the longer we postpone our desire to deal with our pain and suffering, it will go away. We'll put it off, but it won't. It'll get harder. So church, don't live your life in the past. If you're watching today, don't live your life in the past. Because when you look at the past, it can, it can shadow our thoughts or it can put things in perspective for us. The American philosopher John Satanya, Satanana said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And many of you know a local politician quoted those words when he was elected. It's okay to remember your past, the things that happened in your life, where you came from, and why you want to do that is so that you don't repeat mistakes. And so it's okay to remember the past. I remember the life I lived as a young man. And I will not repeat the mistakes I made as a young man. But when I live in the past, that's when I need to deal with the past. You know what I'm saying? It's when we live in the past, when the things that happened in the past are still affecting us today, then we're living in the past and we're not learning from it. As I've said, you've got to deal with your past to cope with your present and prepare for your future. And I've said frustration sometimes. I've spoken to many people who just feel stuck. Who've quoted the Bible and said, Brother, I'm at wit's end corner. I have tried everything and nothing has changed. And I would suggest then you try the Lord. It's as if we cannot get out of where we are. We get fearful and angry with ourselves and, and others. Sometimes passing on the blame to deflect, deflect from ourselves. Deflection is one of the things we do. And you see it many times. The greatest example of deflection is Adam from the Word of God. He took her the fruit. God pulled him about it. He said, it's your fault. You give me the woman and she made me do it. That's deflection. And we try to, it's like a safety net that we think we have. Put the blame on someone else. You know, many people in my last job tried to, when you listen to them and they're, they're caught for what they've done and their representative, this well-paid barrister, will stand up and they talk about how hard a life they had and their parents didn't do this and their parents didn't do that. And that may have affected their lives. Of that, there's no doubt. But we can't blame other people. We can't blame what We need to say, this is, I was done wrong, yes, but now I'm going to change it. And I'm not going to live there. And I'm not going to use it as an excuse. Now, I know that's a wide, wide, wide variety of issues there. I'm talking about people who have committed crime here at the moment. They can't blame their parents. Their parents didn't break the window and put them into the house. Their parents didn't break the window of the car and make them steal the car. So they're deflecting onto other people. We can adopt a defeatist attitude. I've spoke to people and they've said, you know what, I'm never going to change, so there's no point in trying. I cannot beat this. 
It's got total control of me. You know what? You're surrendering to the devil. You're surrendering to the carnal man. Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask, above all we even think. You can quote that when you pray. <clears throat> but God is asking you to believe it. To believe it. Fear and anger turns to depression. Depression turns to negative thoughts. I'm a failure. Everyone else but me can do this. Many people have said to me, <clears throat> I'm sitting in church and I look around me and everybody's worshiping the Lord and, and I just feel I can't. Do you know what? If you only knew what the people sitting around you were going through. But they're defeating it by worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> I shouldn't have mocked uh, man flu on Wednesday night. <clears throat> the Lord's punishing me. <laughs> Amen. We adapted a fetus attitude. But you know, we don't have to live in this quicksand which drags us down. So how do we go forward? Well, we admit that we have a problem, and we admit it to ourselves first. See, this defense mechanism in our brain deflects, denies, buries. But someone, when they want to go forward, when they want to deal with something, the first thing they have to do is admit, I have a problem. And don't be afraid of that word problem. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're useless. It doesn't necessarily mean you're the weakest one ever lived. It means you're admitting to yourself. Many people, I've had parents in a charity I helped out who came to me and wanted me to speak to their children. Speak to my son. You spoke to her son, and he spoke very highly of you, and I said, well, that's very nice, thank you. I said, but unless your son wants to talk to me, I'll talk to him, but quite honestly, we're wasting our time. You see, we have to admit to ourselves that first we have an issue. And when we do that, we have to hope, then hope in the Lord. I am weak, but he is strong. Admit he wants to help me. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest in me. That's an exception. Paul said, Notwithstanding, I have learned that in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. How could this man be content? When we've looked at how he said he was a wretched man, he considered himself the least among the apostles. And here he's saying that he glories in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in him. It's, it's a testimony of God's power. Because people seen Paul, people seen what he went through, people definitely seen the change in his life. And again, it was a change that Paul could not have made. It was a change that God made in his life. Holy, totally religious man, and one can't argue the point that he loved God. But he was sapped in, in religion. He was sapped in the idea that he had to earn his salvation. And it was Christ had to change him. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon him that changed his life. And now he's glorying. And he's glorying because he knows that the power of the devil, the power of this carnal man cannot overcome him because God will help him. God will deliver him. God will see him through. You see, people maybe looked at Paul and, and seen faults and failings in us. 
And people look at us and see faults and failings in us. But despite our faults and failings, despite at times our disbelief and our wonderings, we need to realize something. People might think you're wrong. People might see your faults. People might assume or think in their own minds that you have failed in certain things. And in your own mind, you might challenge yourself for at times my disbelief, at times my wandering away from doing the things I shouldn't do. But here's the fact you need to remember. Here's the fact you need to realize. God still loves you. And God still wants to help you. You know something, church? When we walked in the world, God was holding out his arms and calling us onto himself. When I was in the world, no thought for God, no intention. I used to, when people tried to witness to me, I used to always say, when I'm an old man, I'll become a Christian. Well, I don't know if they'll even make it. Well, I'm an old man now, I suppose. <laughs> but you know something? God still loved me. Despite the life I lived, he didn't like the life I lived, by the way, but he loved me. He loved me enough to convict me of my sins. He loved me enough to bring me to two men, Pastor McCulloch and Pastor Connolly, who were able to point me to him and tell me about God's love. That's how I know God loves me. And he still loves me despite 40 years as a Christian, my trip-ups, my falls. God still loves me. Church, God still loves you. Others are religious amongst the churches might tell uh, their fellow brothers and sisters, you know, God couldn't love you because you did this or you said that. You know something? God loves you. When your children do, or do wrong, do you automatically hate them? No, you do not. Well, don't compare the love of God with the love of man. God loves you despite what you do. Certainly doesn't like sin, but certainly loves you. Keep reaffirming this to yourself. God loves me and God will help me. God loves me and God will help me. I knew a guy, uh, just trying not to say, none of you would know him anyway, but just in case he would watch this. And he struggled with alcoholism. Oh, he struggled. And typical things, hated himself. He was in a relationship with a young girl. They weren't married or they weren't living together or anything. It was boyfriend, girlfriend. He lost a beautiful young girl through his alcoholism. And I remember talking to him uh, uh, many years later. I met him and just told him, so glad to see him. And he's looking so well. I mean, this guy, you'd have thought he'd been to Spain. You know the way alcohol destroys the liver and the liver makes your skin sort of like jaundice sometimes. You look like suntan. But he told me that obviously he became a Christian and God delivered him. And he says, but you know something? It wasn't easy. And he says, and I don't limit the power of God. He said, but it wasn't easy. He said, there was times I was in my room that I walked up and down the room. God does love you, screaming at the top of my voice. He says, when they put me, the social services put me in a, a, a hostel, people used to thump the, the wall and tell me to be quiet with all sort of expletives. But he struggled and he fought and he got through. And why he got through, he knew that God loved him. And God was there. 
And he eventually got through. You know, some, we want to you know, turn to the Lord and say, Lord, here's this need. It's answered. Or it's already answered before we pray. You know, we're, we're just talking in the home this morning, not about this, but a wonderful verse that says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They mount up on wings as eagles. They shall walk and not get weary. They will run and not faint. Teach us, Lord, to wait but you know, to wait upon the Lord isn't to sit in your seat with your arms folded, waiting on something happening. It's taking responsibility and fighting the good fight, and God will strengthen you. Only the Lord truly knows what you're going through in your life. He knows everything about you, and He's offering to help you, to see you through. No matter how long the journey, you know, sometimes people, and we'll look at that when we go down below on the Sunday evenings. Sometimes people, family members can get frustrated with people with addiction. Trying to help them and it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. And you can understand that. And let's not judge families. They're dealing with it 24-7. They see the harm that's happening in people's lives. And they still love the individual who's going through some sort of a situation. But they get frustrated because the journey's long. And that's human, and that's okay. And they need support too. But you know something? God never gets tired and never gives up, no matter how long the journey. Some people have taken years to beat addictions. But you know something? God has stayed with them. He hasn't said, I've done this for you. He hasn't worked. True. God stays. Church, can I say to anyone listening or watching in this morning, God doesn't give up on anyone. No matter how many times you fall, God is going to pick you up if you turn to him. God will stay with you no matter how long the journey. And so what we need to do, what those with a nation need to do, is to take or make a conscious decision and commit everything in their life to the Lord. Listen to Matthew 28. 28 to 30. <clears throat> Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And listen to this. You shall find rest for your souls. It doesn't say you might. It says you shall Find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Church, give God control of your life. My friend watching this morning, here this morning, give God total control of your life and see what God will do. See what God will do. You know, we want to give God partial control, don't we? But we need to give God total control of our lives. I love Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You know, many people have learned that when we give God everything, preeminence in our lives, life becomes much easier and life becomes less stressful. When you just say, Lord, it's all over to you. So what keeps us from committing everything to God? As I say, we looked at this earlier. 
Again, it's these five words. Pride, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. We need to get rid of our pride. You know, there's some people, and they're so humble, they're proud of it. We need to get rid of that nonsense. And we need to be humble before the Lord. Guilt, Psalm 40, verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, and therefore my heart faileth thee. Therefore my heart faileth thee. Do you know something? The old man in us would not make that statement because this statement is saying that they have taken hold upon him. They are controlling him. And he knows they are controlling him. And because they are controlling him, he feels guilty that he can't even look up to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that's anyone here, but God knows your thoughts. Have you ever felt like that? You've let the Lord down, and it's hit you so much that you, you can't even look up. Remember someone saying to me, brother, I can't pray. I can't pray. Because what I did, why, why, why on earth would... A righteous God even look at me, let alone listen to me. This is how the psalmist felt. But you know something? God takes away guilt when we come before him. Remember the mercy of God and the grace of God in your lives. Worry. We looked at worry. Remember, you can't solve every problem yourself. You know, if you want to be a good parent, you don't solve all your children's problems. You have to let your children deal with things themselves because you're not always going to be there, which is the main reason. Plus, you want them to develop their own strong character, their own strong personality. Certainly, in the background, you'll keep an eye and make sure they're okay. But you've got to let them learn to fall and cut their knee and get up again. You've got to let them learn that people are going to disagree with them. You've got to let them learn that they'll make friends, they'll lose friends. You've got to let them learn that they'll go into relationships and they'll lose relationships. That's life. But when we worry and worry <clears throat> about our children, then we intervene. And we're not being good parents for them if we're doing that. When we worry about our own lives, we need to remember that God is in the background that God sometimes lets us go through the fire so that we can come out as pure gold. Situations when I look back on that I've went through that I didn't want to go through at the time and prayed and fasted. But you know something? When I look back, I've come through them. Why? Because God was there. He was in the fire. He was beside me, either going over the mountain or going around the mountain. We need to stop worrying. Doubt. Matthew 14, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And we all know what this was, the, the, the incident in the boat when Peter tried to get out and walk in the water. He says, O thou of little faith. We need to have our faith in God. So let's openly confess to God that we're not perfect. We'll have our faults and our feelings. 
And then another good thing to do. We need to talk to a close and trusted friend. But this is where we have to be careful. It has to be a friend that has never came to you. I'm sure we've all experienced this. Listen, I was told not to say anything. So did you hear about last night? That's not the friend you talk to. Someone comes to you and says, now look, Pastor Alan said to me, don't be telling anybody this, but what do you hear? That's not someone you share secrets with. You know your friends, which one you can, will keep quiet, which ones can't keep quiet no matter how hard to try. And those who tell more stories than the tabloids, you know them. We need someone to need to just to talk to someone, whether it's going to be a pastor or an elder or someone in church, so that they can share with you. Because people can read things that aren't there. We can be reacting in a particular way and people will look at us and think, that's not very Christian. But they don't know. And you don't need to tell the whole church, by the way. But share with someone. What is the old saying? A problem uh, halved is a... Or a problem told is a problem half. I can't remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know the friends you can talk to. And when you can talk to them, it means you no longer need to, do, to deny, repress, blame someone else, excuse or try to rationalize it, that you can actually talk to them. And it is a relief when you're able to talk to someone. And they will help you get rid of these things which are discouraging you. Talk to the Lord, which is the main thing. The Bible says in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, Blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. That's the word of God. Quote the word of God. Learn the word of God and read these verses. We need to deal with issues in our lives because if we don't, they can damage our relationships because we can get impatient and angry with other people. We can stick us, as I've said, in the past. We can play over and over in our minds. You know, church, what I'm saying today, it takes courage. It takes courage to do these things. But you know something? It takes also faith in God. God will strengthen you. You know, the more you trust God and the more fires you come through, the more you learn to trust God. And I've learned in my life there's things that I would deal with this way or that way, but I have learned, wait. Just wait. Step back, take time, listen to the Lord, and indeed God has answered my prayers. As I've said, accept responsibility. Don't deceive yourself and deny these things. Remember, God forgives you, and God wants to help you. And I'll just close with this here. When we do pray, it's three things we've got to remember when we pray. You don't need to beg to the Lord. You know, I've heard people praying and they're practically begging. We don't need to beg to a loving God for forgiveness. Forgiveness is offered to us freely by his grace. And sometimes we feel so bad about ourselves you know, I've seen it, I've heard people's testimonies. Lord, please forgive me. But you know what? Take away the word please and say, Lord, forgive me, and he will. 
We don't need to beg to the Lord. Lord, please help me. We don't need to say please. We're not talking to another human being. We're talking to Almighty God, the God of love and mercy who died on the cross for our sins. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. Don't bargain with the Lord. You know, many people try to come to a bargain with the Lord. Remember the first time I was on a plane? Uh, I was about 17. I was an apprentice. And uh, I worked for Caterpillar. They're an American firm. They're really good to their employees. And they took us all to Scotland to show us this big new, it was a, this massive, the biggest uh, earth-moving machine in the world had just been developed. And it was in a uh, Caterpillar in Glasgow. So we were all flown to Glasgow to see this thing and to get taught uh, the, the different things about it because we would be working on it and we would be servicing it. But I remember being in the plane the first time and we had turbulence. And I'm telling you, to me, it was terrible. <laughs> now, on a plane that I've had turbulence, there's no bother unless it's really bad. But I remember saying, Lord, if you get me off this plane, I'm going to become a Christian. Well, I didn't become a Christian for another six or seven years. You don't bargain with the Lord. Don't pray, Lord, if you help me here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to become a better person. You don't need to bargain with a loving God. He is our heavenly Father who loves us. You don't need to tell him, I'll do this if you do that. You just need to call upon his name and in mercy and grace. Again, this kind of falls into the same category, really, when you think of it. Don't bribe God. You know, if you forgive me and help me, I'll give this or I'll give that or I'll go here. To get the Lord's forgiveness, all you have to do is believe because there's no sin too big there's no sin too small God's forgiveness is open to all that call upon his name one preacher I was reading said it's man's nature to sin it's God's nature to forgive we read, we've read this a couple of times in our study here Isaiah 118 come now let us reason together saith the Lord Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So church, we've looked at admitting our faults or our issues to another person and how we must be careful to who that person is. James 5 and 16 says that. Confess your faults one to another. And this is why. Pray for one another. You know, it's good to have someone you can trust that can sit down, put an arm around you, and pray with you. And in fact, that's the only person they'll talk to about what you've told them. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it's important for us to know who we talk, who we talk to, it's even more important for us when someone talks to us. Because they have taken a mighty step in their lives. They have put an enormous amount of trust in you. And that is a big responsibility. When someone comes to you for help, it's a big responsibility. And as a Christian, it's a responsibility which should be obligatory to each and every one of us. Confess your faults. And that would help us take the mask off that we spoke about. And as I said, a problem shared is a problem half. 
Another good thing is if you're going through something is to talk to someone who's been there. You know, don't tell everybody. Tell someone. Tell someone who's got the T-shirt because they're the ones that really can help you because they know what you're going through. They know the anxiety. They know the fear. They know the sleepless nights. Accept God's love and forgiveness and God will forgive you. Forgiveness, you know something, church? Forgiveness isn't earned through time. I talked about we, we, we kind of bargain with God. God doesn't bargain with us. God doesn't say, okay, I'll forgive you if for six weeks you go to church and you do the Alpha course. Forgiveness is instant. The thief upon the cross, he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. He hadn't done any courses. But he was instantly forgiven. It's complete, and as therefore, as I've said, Romans 8 and 1, there is no condemnation to those who turn to him. So church, let us, and whoever's listening to this, turn to God. If you have an issue, I'm not saying any of you have any issues, take that up with the Lord. The Lord knows your heart. But whatever is going on in your life, turn it over to the Lord. God is not here to judge you. We read this morning, and I read it on purpose to quote John 3, 17. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Can I personalize that for you? God sent not his son into the world to condemn you, but that you might be saved through him. What a wonderful and beautiful God we serve. And I would encourage each and every person in this church today to turn their lives over to Jesus. Not a commitment with the mouth, but a commitment of the heart. A commitment that is an understanding, as the musicians come back, as an understanding that it's still going to be hard, but an understanding that God will be with you. God will be with you and God will strengthen you. Let's stand in his presence. Let's worship the Lord together and let's lift up his precious name.